Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We are thrilled to welcome serial entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, Wall Street Journal contributor, angel investor, TV personality, executive producer, and mom, most importantly, (laughs) a mother-daughter visits, Candace Nelson to our show today. Candice is the founder of Sprinkles Cupcakes and most recently the author of Sweet Success, which is a book that I and we thoroughly enjoyed reading as entrepreneurs. So thank you for writing this book. And did you know that Sprinkles was the first ever cupcake bakery? Mm, I cannot wait to hear about that. (laughs) And the state of cupcakes when... Candace launched Sprinkles was not luxurious or high quality by any means, and she saw a white space in the market that she alone could fill. We cannot wait to hear about launching and growing Sprinkles, her book, and so much more. Thank you, Candace, for being here. Thank you for that lovely intro, and thank you for having me. Okay, well, let's start right away, I guess, on the newest venture is the the book. So will you tell us, congratulations on the book, Sweet Success. We adored, we loved reading it and think it is a must read and an incredible manual for entrepreneurs. Will you tell us when you decided to write the book and will you walk us through the concept of the book and what you hope readers take away after reading it? Well, honestly, I couldn't have said it better myself. It is Sweet Success is a manual for entrepreneurship. It is a guide from inception to sale told through the lens of me founding, scaling, and ultimately selling my first company, Sprinkles. So it is not a memoir. It is certainly illustrated with lots of personal stories, but it is truly meant to be a guide an actionable toolbox that you can use and return to time and time again in dreaming up and building your business. And ultimately, it was really about an action call to women out there to bet on themselves and take action on their dreams. Because there are a lot of women out there who have a business idea on the back burner. I mean, there are 60% of women who want to start a business, but won't do it because of imposter syndrome. And ideas, by the way, are a dime a dozen. What really separates the true entrepreneurs from the dreamers is the action. It's so true. And actually... When I, so I took a weekend and I read it because, you know, you kind of, it's a lot of information. So you, it's, I kind of broke it up a little bit over a weekend, but the mini mag concept came out of that. So mom and I launched a mini magazine in December. And what's nice is we are like four to five years into the business. So it was really a great exercise to read that book four years in and really remember and reflect and think about what's working, what's not. Am I feeling burnt out? What do I want to change? And then from that, our mini mag idea came. Oh, that's incredible. I love that it inspired a a breakthrough, an aha moment, a brainstorm. That is what it was meant to do. Yes, most definitely. I can tell when Delia is reading her business books, the ones that actually like light her up and just get her so excited. and And yours was definitely in that category for sure. I love that. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Writing a book, as you can imagine, is a labor of love. And you know, right. for me, I just want to know that it's getting into the hands of people that find it valuable. So I really appreciate that. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. I was talking to somebody the other day, a young person who had just started college and she was already working on her major. And I thought how unusual that was. And in your case, even after graduating college, you were still trying to figure out exactly what you wanted to do. And you were surrounded by friends who were already on their track for their career. So can you give, there's so many people like that. Can you give our listeners advice if they find themselves in your same boat or what if they're doing something they don't like? I always thought there was something wrong with me because (laughs) I didn't really, I wasn't feeling self-directed at a young age. And I felt surrounded by people who knew exactly what they wanted to do. And they found their Mm -hmm. passions in life early. And I just felt kind of lost and wondering. And I was a well-rounded, good student. I was passionate about a lot of things, but I didn't have my one thing that drove me. And so I felt that I was kind of 
meandering, you know, through school Mm -hmm. and in my early career life, trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do. And in retrospect, I look back and I realize, you know, having a lot of passions and, you know, being excited about a lot of things actually makes you a wonderful entrepreneur because as an entrepreneur, as an early startup founder, you have to wear so many hats and you really do have to be a jack of all trades. So I guess my message to those out there who are feeling that same aimlessness is Mm -hmm. that you are not alone, first of all, and you might be exactly where you need to be to be developing that broad set of skills to become a great entrepreneur one day. I think that's a huge help. It's so interesting when you look back. I started out as a kindergarten teacher. I majored in advertising, and now I'm teaching and marketing again, but in a completely different industry, so which I never would have thought I would have been in. So it's really important to know where you are and realize that it is where you need to be at the time and soak up all the things you can about that. I agree. And I, and just knowing that there's value in everything, even those investment banking days where I was just being ground you know, <laughs> into the ground, it was just grinding and, and it was just soul sucking work. Even those days were so valuable in terms of what I learned. I liked about working, what I learned I didn't like about working. It helped me to form the basis of the company culture at Sprinkles and um, just knowing what I didn't want the company culture to be. And so just in retrospect, it's easy to see how everything has value. Sometimes when you're in the moment, you're like, this is, there's no value in this experience, but just know that someday it may take a little time and hindsight, but you will see the value in every experience. It's so true. And when you're in that place of not sure of the next step, it can be super overwhelming. It can be very frustrating. You just have no idea what to do. But so thank you so much for talking about that and giving people actionable steps and things that they can do (laughs) to figure to figure it out. As the years went by, Candice, how did you keep sprinkles fresh and not lose your passion for the business? Things can be so exciting in the beginning, and then you can either lose yourself or the side of the mission along the way. So we can't wait to hear about all of that. It's an interesting question because, of course, it's a little bit of a catch-22 when you turn a passion into a business. Of course, my passion that I grew up baking, um, just to give you a little context, I grew up baking with my mom and we lived overseas a lot of my childhood. So baking the treats I loved from home was more than just a fun project. It really was a way for me to connect with my homeland. So baking was always a very meaningful um, activity for me, but I wasn't raised in a home that uh, allowed me to believe that I could you know, create a career out of cooking or baking. It really was more of a household that um, championed, you know, being a lawyer or a doctor or working for a not-for-profit, a, a more traditional career track. And so, you know, even though I had this passion, I sort of stuffed it away and then rediscovered it much later in life. And so when I started to, when I decided to create a business out of baking and, and open sprinkles, the world's first only cupcakes bakery, I spent the majority of those first few years in the bakery, in the back of the kitchen, doing exactly what I love to do. But I also had a vision for a national brand, you know, a retail brand that spanned from LA to New York. And so in building this company, I had to step away from frosting those cupcakes every day. It just was the nature of the beast. I had to create a team, build a team, hire, train, and and step out of the day-to-day so I could be more focused on this larger strategic vision of the company. And I think what a lot of people don't talk about is that even though building the company was what I wanted, there was some loss. There was some pain in that growth in the sense that, you know, once I had, I I, I initially was so critical, right? It's like the customers wouldn't get their cupcakes if I wasn't in the back baking them. And I felt so necessary and needed. But then as I built a team and trained them and all of a sudden I looked around and the operations of each bakery was not reliant on my skill set anymore. And even though that was great and that was what I needed to do to build a national company, there was some loss in that. I wasn't doing the thing that 
that drew me to starting that business in the first place, which was baking and frosting. I missed being, you know, with my kitchen mates. I missed that camaraderie. So in terms of keeping that passion, I really did have to find a different passion uh, within the scope of my business. And I think for me, it really was about stepping into my personal brand and starting to um, leaning into the purpose of the business, which also was closely aligned to my own, you know, purpose and, and, and values and, you know, sort of representing the brand on a larger scale through TV, through thought leadership and, um, as a leader. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad. I mean, it's just so important. Kind of like I was saying, and what's in your book is to just every so often tap in and kind of gauge how are you feeling about everything. It's such a strange feeling if you're remembering in the beginning how you felt. And then a couple of years in, you're like, wait, but do I like this anymore? Like, am I burnt <laughs> out? What's happening? What's wrong with me? Like, why do I feel different? Why don't I like this anymore? But, <laughs> but then you just kind of like reinvent and okay, now we're coming out with the mini mag. And so that's going to help rejuvenate us or whatever it is. So I think you have to continue to evolve and innovate. And as long as you're continuing to stay true to your original mission and purpose. So for sprinkles, it was really about, you know, injecting joy into and delight into everyday moments. And so initially it was through cupcakes. And then, you know, we did this through some of our marketing initiatives, whether it was these celebrity charitable cupcakes we did or the marketing we did through Facebook with our whisper words. And then ultimately the cupcake ATM. It's like, as long as I was continuing (laughs) to stay true to the mission, but also push myself and evolve, you can continue to stay passionate. Yes. Thank you for that. And if you feel like the creativity or the dream that you had in the beginning, you've kind of gotten away from that, Mm -hmm. then you have to reevaluate and and realize what's happening and find a way to recapture some of that. Or like she said, develop a new passion within the business itself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. As long as you're staying true to that original mission and purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, you may have achieved that original dream and it's time to dream a bigger dream. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. And also giving yourself the space and the time to figure out what that new dream is because <laughs> it's not always obvious at, at the right. moment. And also sometimes people tell you, don't do this, do that. Yeah. And finally one day you realize, no, I should have done that from the very beginning. So you just learn a lot along the way, but I Absolutely. love the idea of the ATM vending machine. Oh my God. There's a couple really creative things that we want to talk about now. So will you tell us about coming up with the concept for the ATM vending machine, which I myself have thoroughly enjoyed. (laughs) And then also the Sprinkles Mobile. And we're curious to know if it was really outfitted by MTV's Pimp My Ride team, which is surprising (laughs) to everyone that's listening. I actually loved the show because my little sixth grade boyfriend loved the show. So of course I did too. (laughs) Oh, oh yes. I mean, if you're going to have a fancy food truck in LA, it's got to be decked out by, you know, the guys who did pimp my ride. I mean, how (laughs) else would you do it? (laughs) We were going for it. Um, but the cupcake ATM was, was super fun. You know, everything that I did at sprinkles, I really approached through the lens of innovation. Innovation is the heartbeat of entrepreneurship. It's about disrupting. It's about adding value. And I really think it boils down to a very simple mindset, which I think, you know, if you are looking to build a company, you need to start to cultivate. And I call it what if thinking, and really that's about looking at the world and and seeing a vision for it or allowing yourself to imagine a vision for it that doesn't exist. And so I looked at the world and I thought, what if I could create a cupcake that was aspirational and giftable, something that was different than the generic cupcakes that you see at the grocery store. Now with the cupcake ATM, this was a situation where my husband and I came home late from a party. I was pregnant with my second son. I was craving a cupcake like crazy. It was a totally hormonal moment and there were no cupcakes in the house and sprinkles was closed. It would have long since closed. And I started kind of ranting and raving 
again, little hormonal. And instead of just shutting down the idea and going to bed and being like, all right, I'll get a cupcake tomorrow. My husband and I embraced this. What if thinking, we started batting around ideas. What if you could get a cupcake anytime, day or night? What would that look like? You know, we pay rent on our bakery 24 hours a day. Why wouldn't we want to monetize it 24 hours a day? And so this beautiful, ridiculous brainstorm is what led to the Cupcake ATM. So I think always be open to ideas, always embrace those crazy ideas and that what if thinking. That's so smart. So the ATM, since I haven't gotten to experience it, can you tell us just a tiny little bit more about what it is? Oh, yes. It is a contactless cupcake delivery system. It's, um, you know, the vending machine of the future. It's all touch screen. There's a robotic arm that delivers, delivers your cupcake to you in a box. You can mm. order up to four at a time. And it's just, it's really fun. When my husband and I dreamed it up, we thought, oh, this will be just a great sort of marketing gimmick, right? Get us a couple mm. press hits. But in the end, it has been an incredible way to distribute our product in, um, you know, sort of a more low effort way, low, you know, low labor for sure. We are starting to expand to airports, to college campuses, and it's really been a, a way to drive more business. That's brilliant. That is so brilliant. That really is college campuses. I can already just picture that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a popular stop at USC. I'll tell you that. Oh, I love it so much. All right. Walk us through the process of creating new flavors during your sprinkles days. Well, the great thing about developing a company from a passion is that you are customer number one. So it was really easy for me to develop flavors because I loved cupcakes and I love to eat. And so I just developed flavors <laughs> that I loved. Super mm -hmm. simple, not much to it. And I'm also... I'm a purist. I really like classic flavors. Simplicity done well is my jam. And so <laughs> in the very beginning, you know, the core of our menu, very simple flavors, vanilla, dark chocolate, lemon, red velvet, right? No, no real bells and whistles. Now, mm -hmm. as the business evolved, of course, we had these incredibly loyal customers coming in and saying, I wish you had this flavor, or I wish you would develop a gluten-free or a vegan. And that's when I started to develop flavors for our customer base and our audience. And that was sort of a new journey for me because I thought, all right, well, I'm not gluten-free. I'm, I'm not vegan, but I am going to use that as the sort of guardrails for developing the best vegan cupcake, like a vegan cupcake that even I would want to eat, a gluten-free cupcake <laughs> that even I would want to eat. And so that was a really fun challenge for me. That's great. That's so wonderful that they have options. That everyone has an option there too, because yeah. that's... Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we didn't want to turn people away. I mean, it's important to know who your target audience is and you can't be developing all the things for everyone no. because otherwise you're, you know, you're not speaking to your true, your true customer. But I think, you know, as long as I was happy with the product at the end of the day, why wouldn't I want to have a gluten-free cupcake that, that tastes great so that right. you can, you know, order a dozen sprinkles cupcakes and everyone can partake. Exactly. So true. If it's a family and they have one child who's gluten-free, you know, that one child would have to sit there without the cupcake. So very that, sad. We don't want that happening. We cannot have that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell us about your experience as a judge on cupcake wars and how did that affect business in a positive way? Oh, that was, wow. Talk <laughs> about life handing you surprises that you would have never imagined. <laughs> never would have imagined that I would become an entrepreneur and devote my life to food. Certainly never would have imagined that would have led me to be on a hit Food Network show and then a hit Netflix show with Sugar Rush, but so much fun and very important to the brand awareness of Sprinkles. Mm -hmm. When we first opened, we were the first ever Cupcakes Only Bakery we were very innovative. We were raising a lot of eyebrows by opening during the height of the low carb craze, mm -hmm. charging $3 for a cupcake when everybody was used to paying 50 cents at the grocery store. <laughs> so for a lot of reasons, we were very innovative and disruptive. Well, when you have a successful business, get ready because competition and blatant imitation is bound to follow. Mm. And so 
you know, within a very short amount of time, we went from being, you know, this innovative company, this disruptor to just one in a crowded pack. Mm -hmm. And so by having this position on a hit TV show as a head judge, it was such a differentiator because you can beat your drum all day long and say you're the best, but people are, you know, they're a little wary of self-promotion, but Mm -hmm. when they see you on TV as the head judge, judging all the other cupcakes in America, Mm. they just know they, they say, okay, well, there's the expert. She must be the best. They must be, you know, the, the OG. Yeah. The, the OG, the number one business, you know, the number one cupcake business in America, like you don't have to say it, it is just implied. And so that was an incredible differentiator for me to be positioned in that way and to be beaming into living rooms across the country every week with that little intro pack at the, you know, at the top of every show, Candace Nelson, founder of Sprinkles Cupcakes, the world's first cupcake bakery. And Mm -hmm. so that brand awareness was much larger than our retail footprint. I mean, we were building store by store, this brick and mortar business company owned, we weren't franchising. So it took a while for us to, you know, increase our footprint across the country. And we needed to find ways to, um, you know, uh, establish that brand awareness ahead of being able to, to build the stores. And that was one way we did it. Mm. And will you tell our listeners why, cupcakes instead of cookies or larger cakes. (laughs) Oh, of course. Well, there's so much to love about a cupcake. Yes. Personal. They don't require a fork and knife. They are celebratory. I mean, at a Mm -hmm. minimum, there is this established tradition in our culture that people celebrate their birthdays with cake. Mm -hmm. And I had been there. I'd been in the corporate world working in investment banking and it'd be somebody's birthday in the office and someone would go and get a cake and there'd be, you know, we'd all be running around trying to find plates and a knife. And then, (laughs) you know, of course it was carrot and somebody didn't like carrot. And it was just like, it was just a mess. And cupcakes just solved that problem. But at the time, and I mean this, you can't imagine it now because cupcakes are everywhere, but at the time you really couldn't find cupcakes except in the supermarket. They were just very basic. They were sort of a commodity and they were a kid's treat. They were an afterthought. And one of those days when I was walking through the supermarket, I just said, cupcake needs to be elevated. Like this cupcake, this beloved American treat that we all grew up with needs a makeover. And Mm -hmm. I knew that if I could, you know, up-level the quality of the cupcake and the look and feel and, and brand identity of a cupcake, I would make it, you know, increase the market so that adults could enjoy eating cupcakes alongside a child and feel good about it. That's so smart. And it also a cupcake. I mean, I can't imagine too many people have bad memories surrounding cupcakes. You know, I think about my mother in the kitchen, making them and the homemade icing and, you know, it was for your birthday party. So you didn't get to have one until, you know, everybody got there and things like that, but it's just a joyous, joyous product. It really is. It's, you know, people have such fond memories growing mm-hmm. up, either baking cupcakes, getting them in their lunchbox, celebrating at birthday parties. And it's a really mm-hmm. nostalgic treat. And I knew I could play on this emotional connection that people had with cupcakes, but then, you know, make them more aspirational, kind of the way Howard Schultz had done with coffee. You know, we all used to get our coffee at the gas station or brew it right. with Folger, Folgers. And all of a sudden people were lining up to spend $3 on this coffee that made them feel good. It was Mm -hmm. an experience. And um, I I just felt like I could do the same thing with cupcakes. Mm -hmm. Which was really a a radical thought. I mean, to picture a bunch of, you know, grownups in a banking type situation with having cupcakes as a treat on somebody's birthday, you would think no one would, you know, they would laugh at that. We're having cupcakes. And instead it became the perfect the perfect thing to get. No plates, no forks, no mess. That's right. And it really took off. You know, the cupcake became a phenomenon for a Mm -hmm. good amount of time. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the reasons why people loved the show Cupcake Wars so much. It was really a reflection of what was going on in the industry, which was that all of these people, particularly during the Great Recession, where a lot of people lost their jobs, were going back home and opening a cupcake bakery. They thought, oh, well, that 
looks fun. It doesn't cost too much to open one. And um, there seems to be a big demand for them. And all of a sudden, this new industry was born. And cupcakes cost less too to, uh, to buy. So for a birthday, that would be an option, a better option than buying an entire cake as a consumer too. Absolutely. But you can still have fun with the decorations. They're playful, mm -hmm. but I was also making them elegant. So yes, you perfect did. for any occasion. Hey, when did your company start? So my husband and I opened the doors to Sprinkles in Beverly Hills in 2005. Okay. We scaled the business to 11 locations and the cupcake ATM uh, over the next eight years. And then we sold the business, the, a majority stake in the business in 2012 to private equity. We stepped away operationally and have gone on to found some other businesses. Uh, currently, we are growing our new pizza concept. It is mm -hmm. a neo-Neapolitan pizza concept called Pizzana. And it's so funny because people say, well, first cupcakes, now pizza. Why is that? And I'm like, well, why not? It's all the yummy foods. I'm like a walking kid's <laughs> birthday party. Um, but it really <laughs> was something that surprised me. I met our head chef, Daniele Uditi, when he was catering at a party. I took one bite of his pizza and I just had a moment. I thought, whoa, this is incredible. Who made this? So I sought him out. He was, you know, working over at the the pizza oven and and chefing it up. And we ended up talking all night. You know, obviously we're both bakers. We both work with dough, although different types of dough. Mm -hmm. And we had this same love for taking simple foods and elevating them. And he had this incredible story of coming to the States with $200 in his pocket and his aunt's sourdough starter. And he was living out of van and just making a living doing these catering gigs with this incredible pizza. Mm. And so it was already this American dream story. I mean, I, I met him at Chris O'Donnell's house. He was catering for like the stars in, in LA, mm. but he said, really, my true dream is to open a pizza restaurant. And I could not help myself. I literally said, I can see it. I would love to do that with you. And so I was right back into the food business, <laughs> <laughs> but it has been so much fun. We are growing pizza on a in Southern California, in Texas, um, our frozen pizzas, which you can get through Gold Belly, were just written up in the New York Times this morning. And mm -hmm. yeah, we were, we're having a lot of fun with it. It's really a very delicious uh, business to be in. Oh, it sounds great. For we do have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our podcast. So I want to revisit the sale. So how did you feel selling the business? How did you know it was time to do that? Any advice? Well, the funny thing about selling your business is that the best time to sell it is when things are going really, really well. But that's also the hardest time to step away because why would you step away from your business when it's going really, really well? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a couple of things, one personal, one business. Personally, you know, Charles and I, we were boots on the ground. And so every time we opened a new bakery, we went and moved to that location for at least a month, sometimes several months to hire and train and get that bakery off the ground, make sure our company culture was intact. And we were just very hands-on. That was easy to do when my little boys were portable and totable. But once mm -hmm. they got a little older and were going to school and they had activities and commitments, that became a lot harder. And I felt like that was a sacrifice that I didn't want to make for them because I mm -hmm. had had a childhood where I grew up moving all the time. And I really wanted my kids to have some solid roots. So that's how I was feeling as a mom. And then on the operation side, you know, my husband and I really love that zero to one phase of the business. We love, you know, the idea, those early days of, you know, crafting a brand and bringing the product to market and, and being in the trenches with our, with our early team. And we had grown this company to a national business, which was exciting. And we certainly could have taken it to that next phase of growth, but I also didn't want to, to be that founder that held a chokehold on the business 
I knew there were other people out there that had operational expertise who I could hand the reins over to, and they could just take the business and what we built, the foundation of what we built and run with it. And so for those two reasons, we felt it was the best time to step away, but I will say it was really hard. Sprinkles was like my first child and my identity was quite wrapped up in it. So it took a couple of years to really unravel that and kind of feel like my identity was whole again. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Expand on the identity crisis of you, Candace, and Frank, <laughs> Eddie, who separate one from the other? I think I should have had, I think I could have done a better job of having a plan. I mean, to go from, you know, 60 miles an hour to... Right not being involved in the business at all was a little bit too extreme of a change and shock for me. And it would have been great to have another project to pour my energies into. Now, having said that, I wanted to pour my time into my boys. I wanted to be on school with them at school with them. I wanted to drop them off. I wanted to pick them up. I wanted to, I mean, for better or worse, share the charity event at school, because these are all the things that I hadn't been able to do. But, you know, I got my fill of that pretty quick. Not the, you know, dropping and picking up, up part, but the, <laughs> right. the, the chairing, the, 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 you know, school auction part, you do that once, I think you're good, um, right. at least for me. And, and I was ready to tackle some more entrepreneurial problems again. So I think, you know, listen, did I achieve a goal and a dream of mine? Yes. Would I have done it differently in terms of selling the business? No, but what I would have done differently is to think a little bit more past achieving that goal that I was so laser focused on past Mm. reaching the top of that mountain that I thought was like the finish line. No, no, it's the start line for the next Mm. chapter. And so I would have done a better job of thinking that through. Mm. And now y'all have started a venture capital firm. So will you talk about what you have learned from starting and working with your venture founders? And so what companies are you currently excited about? And any founders that you've invested in, what are some challenges that they are facing or things that they're thinking about? Oh, of course. Well, CN2 Ventures is not a traditional venture fund. It's more of a venture studio. So it's where Charles and I pool our own money and partner with passionate founders to help them achieve their dreams. So Pizzana is within the CN2 uh, Ventures umbrella where we've partnered with Daniele, but we're operationally involved. We are hands-on. We've built the brand. We are building alongside him. And then on the side, I'm doing some angel investing where I am investing in other passionate founders, but I'm not operationally involved. I'm offering obviously a check and some guidance and my network and I'm as helpful as I can be, but I am not in the trenches every day because there's only so much time. Right. I'd say one of the businesses that I'm really excited about right now, female founded business, which I, I do tend to invest mostly in female founded businesses, Lisa Odenweller, she has developed this functional reset called Chroma. Um, It's a cleanse, but it's really more of a reset. It's really healthful, uh, nutritionally packed superfoods that you can, you know, be on her program for five days and feel like a million bucks at the end, but that you can also just, you know, drink her matcha lattes every morning and it becomes part of your daily routine. Um, I think she is incredible founder. She is laser focused on this company and helping women to feel their best. I think one of the challenges she's facing, which is, you know, a lot of founders right now are facing is just with the lack of targeting capability online with digital marketing. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to acquire customers. Um, And so she's done an incredible job of galvanizing. She has an amazing team of angel investors who have backed her. And she has really asked us to be her brand ambassadors and help her with, you know, targeting partnerships where it makes sense, targeting retailers that will um, carry her product. And, and she is not shy about asking and we are there for her. So she did a great job just from the beginning in terms of raising the money she needed to get this business off the ground. 
finding not just cash, but strategic angels who could really help her on the marketing side, on the operations side. And I think that's a really good lesson for people out there. There's a lot of cash still, even though we're entering this recessionary period, there's still a lot of cash out there for great ideas, great founders, great companies. But I want women to be picky when it comes to that. They need to be um, looking for other investors that can really help them on a strategic level uh, beyond just you know writing a check. Absolutely. And it is, it's just so confusing right now with social media and everything, what works, what doesn't work, where to put your money. It's, uh, it's really hard for young brands to, to stand apart from the pack, but send us the information about her. We would love to know more. Most definitely. Yeah, we'd love that. Okay. This has something to do with what I do for a living because I work on uh, visual branding with people for their careers often. And when you decided you needed to be the face behind the brand, it was important for you to look the part. So we love that part of the book when you talked about it. And we were wondering if you can walk us through how you developed your personal style to best represent your company. Oh, well, I, this is a great question. I'm happy to be talking about this with you in particular. So personal brand became and has become such a huge part of my story as a founder, but I really came into my personal branding very reluctantly. Mm-hmm. I was in the back of the kitchen with a baseball hat on wearing kitchen clogs mm-hmm. and, you know, just trying to serve up the best quality product to deliver on the brand promise we'd made to our customers and mm-hmm. hospitality, which listen, I, I dealt in cupcakes. I now deal in pizza, but really what I deal in is hospitality and hospitality is really about giving. It's really about the customer coming first. And so something felt a little weird to me about stepping out from behind the counter, taking off my apron as I, as I talk about in the book and being center stage, that didn't really sit right with me. But mm-hmm. once I realized, I mean, these TV cameras were coming in all the time. There was a phenomenon going on and we had celebrities waiting in line. This was like real news. And the, it was a media frenzy, quite frankly. And somebody had to talk to those TV cameras. And I realized it had to be me. People were mm-hmm. eager for a spokesperson. They were eager for a face to the brand and they wanted to deepen their emotional connection to Sprinkles. And I was going to be that person. And once I realized that, and it wasn't about, you know, being self-promotional, it really was about being an entry point to the brand. I got more comfortable with it. Then of course, the opportunity to be a judge on Food Network came about. And all of a sudden I was on TV. And it's so funny because I have so many friends well, not so many, but I definitely have a, a handful of friends who are well-known actresses here in LA mm-hmm. and or who work in the industry in terms of, you know, styling or they're an agent. And they would ask me like, well, Candace, who are you using for hair? Who are you using for makeup? Who are you using for styling? And I'd say, nobody, like, what are you talking about? And they were the ones that really helped me understand like, no, you're on TV now. You have to develop your personal brand. And that's the whole package. And so I started to learn and and just get more familiar with putting myself together. And I Mm -hmm. think it took me a minute because I wasn't totally sure what my personal style should be. And ultimately I settled into the fact that I still am just me, but mm-hmm. a more polished version, right? For those media appearances and those charity galas and those personal events. Like I'm not a different person. I'm just a polished, I'm just a polished version of Candace Nelson. And I'm and I'm still a baker and I'm a founder and I'm I'm very hands-on. So I never want to be, you know so dolled up because I'm still that person that might have to take the trash out at the end of the night. And so trying to kind of marry those two images of myself took me a minute, but then I I settled into it and it made all the difference. And I can actually see my, you know, transformation on TV. Some of those early moments, I'm just like, Oh God, I wish I'd had a stylist. But, um, you know, it's part of the journey and, and I think it's something that's worth digging into earlier than later. If you're, if you're planning to step into your personal brand. Right. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, but you have to make sure that your insides match your outsides or it's not authentic to the brand and it's not authentic to you. And that's where things go awry. But as long as you, I mean, you know, whatever your industry is, so you make cupcakes, 
well, you need to look a certain way or people are going to like, oh, I would never, you know, buy a cupcake from her, that kind of thing. I mean, it gets down to that, what the eyes of the people who are looking at you are, the, the opinions they're forming of you, you know. Exactly. And, and even down to things like, and maybe this is getting too granular, but even down to how my nails looked, right? I, I could never grow my nails long. This is actually the first time in my life that I've had long nails because I'm not working in a kitchen or doing, you know, baking segments or anything like that. I had to keep my nails short. I mean, they had to look clean and polished, but like nobody wants to have the person who's making their food with really long nails. Right. So it, it is something that you don't think about very much, but it's very, you have to be very intentional with these things. And, um, I know I'm, I'm, you know, preaching to the choir. I know you guys. No, no, I'm thrilled you're you're saying this because I do say this all day long. And it's not that it's not shallow. It's not about fashion. It's about, you know, representing yourself and your brand to the best of your ability. It's you can sabotage yourself if you're not careful. So um, absolutely. And I have to say one of the one of the best compliments I ever got was I was meeting a friend of a friend. And, um, our mutual friend introduced me. She said, this is Candace. She's, she's the one that started sprinkles. And this woman looked at me and she kind of took me in and she said, well, of course you are. That's <laughs> and it a- was like, she just said, well, it couldn't have been anyone else. Like, and I think to me, it took me a second to understand what she was saying, but it was to your point, like I matched my business so right. perfectly. It was so authentic to, you know, back and forth that right. It, it just made so much sense. It totally like if you were in all black and your hair was pulled back really tightly, you know, that would, that would be a very uh, scary look. I mean, it would have <laughs> nothing to do with cupcakes, you know, exactly. So in another field, if you were a musician or something and you, you know, that's, you would need to dress that way. But yeah, I find it so fascinating. I really do. I love it. I could talk about it all day. <laughs> We love a family business and that you and Charles, your husband, is your business partner. So will you tell us what your favorite thing about working with him is? Honestly, uh, we're coming up on Valentine's Day. I don't want to get too sentimental. (laughs) (laughs) But Charles, my husband, is my favorite person in the world. I honestly love spending time with him. So think about like, if he were to go to work at one place all day long and I was to go to work another place all day long, that would be terrible. I would miss him. I love the fact that we have this excuse to spend all day with each other and be Mm -hmm. in each other's business and talk about things. I mean, people say you have to have this work life separation. Okay. Maybe to a point, but I have to say we both love what we do and we do take home our work and we talk about it at the dinner table with our boys because we want to give them a little, you know, insight and window into our business. They're not too young to be start to learn about the challenges of, of running a business and what it takes to be a leader and, and manage people. And so there is this just really great blend between our work and our home life and our partnership and our family that works so well for us. Charles has a great sense of humor. I always say, and I was, I was at a female founder event last night and there were these two women who were asking me, they said, well, how have you done it? my husband is now working with me in the business, or I've been working with my boyfriend. I'm not sure if this is a good idea or not. I go, can you argue well? If you can argue well, like you're going to be okay. If you can deal with conflict and Mm -hmm. find a way to move beyond it, the way that Charles and I deal with conflict is humor. He has a great sense of humor. I have a great sense of humor. We poke fun at each other. We insult each other in a very playful way. And that works for us. And so we have been able to manage stress and challenging situations, you know, with that lens of, of humor and playfulness. And not that we don't disagree with each other, but we can work through it at the end of the day. And so it's been a really incredible journey and a wonderful ride. And, and, and I love, it doesn't work for everyone. You know, most of my friends think I'm crazy, but we're coming up on 22 years of being married. Um, and we've been working together that whole time. That's wonderful. I can't imagine being able to just turn it off and not talk about it at the dinner table or your boys grew up eating the cupcakes. I'm sure. I mean, it's a family 
lore, you know? Oh, yes. Oh, it's so funny. My 12 year old, we brought him into Pizzana the other day because we have this, we're doing this new thing for lunch service where we're going to be offering, you know, to go sandwiches. And so we were doing this panini tasting with our chef. And, and so Harry, our 12 year old, we're like, do you want to come to work with us today? And he was like, sure. And he sat there for an hour eating the most delicious sandwiches. And he goes, wow, work is so fun. <laughs> and, and then, and then we started talking about all the ingredients, prices going up and all of the, uh, you know, the things that needed to be fixed in the restaurant. And then he, he got a dose on the other side. He goes, Oh, work is kind of a drag. And we're like, okay, no, it's both. It's both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Got a light life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What was your favorite part about building sprinkles? I think it was being a part of people's lives. I mean, people came into sprinkles to celebrate the good times, to feel better during the bad times. And we were around for some of the most intimate moments of people's lives. People proposed to their, you know, their significant others with a cupcake. People had sprinkles cupcakes at their weddings. I hear these stories all the time. They had gender reveals with our cupcakes. Mm -hmm. like being, a, being part of the most intimate and special moments of people's lives is truly an honor. And I still pinch myself that I built a brand where people had mm -hmm. that emotional connection. That's lovely. That really is. It is. And now we want to talk about the fact that building a business can be a serious grind. And how did you stay sane during the high growth periods? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are going to be periods of time when you are building something that you are not feeling balanced. You know, balance is that word that we keep <laughs> throwing around and it is something that we all aspire to. But I just want people to understand that when you are creating something out of nothing and you don't feel balanced, there is nothing wrong with you. <laughs> that <laughs> is that is how it's going to be for a little while. Now, you want to avoid burnout, of course, because burnout is so insidious. It'll creep up on you. And all of a sudden you wake up and you are your inspiration is gone. Your motivation is gone. And, and it can be hard to come back from that. So you really want to practice that self-care. For me... I also like to just physically step away from the business. The more I can remove myself from my surroundings, whether that is a weekend away, if at all possible, I promise it'll pay back in spades. <laughs> whether it is going on a hike and being in nature, I'm never more creative than when I am outside walking and I'm with my thoughts and I'm with nature. There's something so restorative about that. I'm sure there is science to back it up. I don't know what it is, but it mm -hmm. works. It may not be the thing that works for you, but there is something that works for you that can restore you and get you back in your flow. Figure out what that is and make sure that you can carve out some time for it. Also, building can be a really lonely experience as an entrepreneur. So you have to nurture your network, be part of a you know professional women's organization, or make sure you have all your mommy friends on speed dial or on like a text group chat where you can just say, help, I'm drowning. Like, you know, someone throw me a lifeline or someone pick up my child today. I can't get there. I'm running late. You need to, it takes a village. It really does. It's just like raising a child, growing a business. Most definitely. We, are, we, we totally agree with that. <laughs> but it is also, I think, I think a lot often about how lonely it would be if I didn't have my business partner, who happens to be my daughter, working with me. Like you have your husband, like when you yeah. get really stressed, you can look at him and go, what's happening? You know, <sighs> it yeah. really is. Someone that you feel really safe with that you can yeah. just, you know, you can be in a puddle on the ground yes. and they can help you get back up. And yeah. you're going to be there for them when they're feeling the same way. Exactly. It is that emotional support, that person that you can be totally authentic with and feel safe with um, right. is so important. Absolutely. And they can tell, they know you well enough that they can tell when you're really mean it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I think we sort of know the answer to this. I want to ask you what's next, next for you, but uh, you've already told us about this very exciting pizza experience that we can't wait to have. So you want to um, 
extrapolate about that? Tell us if there is anything else that's coming down the pipeline. Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, right now I am still very much in the throes of launching my book, Sweet Success. So I really encourage people to check it out. And if you do love it, please write a review on Amazon. It helps so much for me. Writing the book was a labor of love. And I have been overwhelmed by the number of DMs I've received from people who are like, this has really you know, been life-changing for me. I wish I'd had this book before I started my business. I'm so glad I have it now. Mm-hmm. So I know it's helping people. And I just want to make sure that it gets in the right hands and helps as many people as possible. So buy it, review it, you know, talking about it on social, that would mean so much. And then as far as what's next for me operationally, my husband and I are growing Pizzana throughout Southern California. We are now taking on Texas and we are also shipping our pizzas frozen nationwide. Our pizzas were just reviewed very favorably in the New York times, as far as, you know, frozen pizzas that you can get shipped to your home. Our Neo-Neapolitan pizza is this perfect like blend of old world traditional Neapolitan meets, you know, new modern American tastes in that it has that perfect char and chew, but it's still Mm -hmm. a pizza that you can hold up and pick up as a slice and it holds. The tomatoes are grown for us in Italy, the San Marzano tomatoes, the cheese, the Fiordalati comes from Italy, the dough, we call it a slow dough because it's fermented and raised over two days and it, it's digestible. It's light in your stomach, but we also have gluten-free, which if anyone out there is gluten-free, it's truly oh. the best gluten-free pizza I've ever had in my life. And so I hope that you will come visit us uh, at our restaurants if you're nearby in the area, or maybe order some pizzas to have at home. Absolutely. We will talk about that for sure. Can't wait to read the article. Thank you so much. Yes, definitely. Okay, Candice, where can people find you? Well, thank you for asking that. They can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Candace Nelson. I'm also on LinkedIn. I have a lot of fun on LinkedIn. So please reach mm-hmm. out, follow me on LinkedIn. And then uh, our business, my business, Pizzana, is also on Instagram and TikTok and Gold Belly for shipping. Will you spell Pizzana? Yes. So Pizzana, I like to say it's pizza with an N-A at the end. P-I-Z-Z-A-N-A. Great. Awesome. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. We thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today. I really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you for everything you're doing with your business and to help female entrepreneurs look and feel their best self. I I hope everyone will check uh, out your services because I just, I felt a whole lot better when I got my personal brand together. That's exactly right. Oh my goodness. Okay. We'll have a wonderful rest of the day. And now we're going to try to head to Sprinkles and order a pizza. (laughs) I made you hungry. That's my job. (laughs) Thanks so much, ladies. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.